Hope, please turn with me in your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 to 28. I'm about to read the passage for us, and this passage of Scripture is found on page 829 in the Black Bibles, if anyone's using those. We're going to read the fifth and sixth woes, W-O-E, a denunciation, a word of grief, a word of anger and frustration. Jesus has seven woes to these scribes and Pharisees, and we have seen that there are pairs, and we're going to look at the third pair, and you'll notice right away that they are linked as I read them, so follow along. Starting in verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the out inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also, outwardly, appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Is it obvious to you that these two woes are paired together with a common theme? Inside and outside, clean and unclean. Look at the first one again. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you are hypocrites. Hypocrites, as I've mentioned, is used throughout this chapter quite a bit. And it means to be dressed up as like an actor or actress, wearing some sort of play clothes to pretend you're being someone else. Woe to you because you're pretending to be clean on the outside. You wash the outside of the cup and plate, but on the inside, they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Now, here's why you know that Jesus is not talking about in this passage just simple ritual cleansing. We know from reading Matthew chapter 15, the sermon, uh, the scripture text that was read just previously in our time together, that there was a ritual hand-washing, cleansing, ceremonial process that would make someone clean or unclean according to the traditions of the Jewish faith. It's probably not too different from what you and I have been going through the last three months or whatever ceremonial kind of ritual cleanliness, meaning there are certain things that you have to do now in society for people to consider you safe or okay. I mean, just think, earlier this year, would you have thought you'd be going to the supermarket or the grocery store wearing a mask on your face to know that if you didn't have a mask on your face, you would not be allowed in? I mean, this is the world we live in today. 
And that world is really not too different from the world we're reading about in the Bible right here. That there is a kind of ritual that's being done. Washing of certain things to make yourself put in a state of what's called clean. Clean does not necessarily mean you don't have sin. It just means that you're in the right circumstance. It's like wearing a mask. It doesn't mean you don't have coronavirus. You could still have coronavirus, but hey, you've got the mask on. And in the same way, there's the outward sign of like, hey, I'm safe. I'm clean. But on the inside, you might be full of some kind of disease. And that's the illustration Jesus is picking up off of. It's deeply rooted in the book of Leviticus. It's that teaching we did almost a year ago now in the fall of 2019 and all about this ceremonial cleanliness of the Jewish faith. And so hopefully with COVID alive and well, and all of the rituals that we have to put ourselves through every day just to go outside or do something, we should hopefully be well aware of what this means, what it means to be ritually clean versus unclean, when in reality you may actually be sick on the inside and not even know it. In this case, notice Jesus is not merely having a conversation with them about, hey, you guys are doing these uh, rituals the wrong way. This is not a conversation about rituals. Do you see that in the text? There are, there are people who will teach that. I've been reading and studying this passage, as you might imagine, prior to this little teaching now. And there are arguments that are made that Jesus is trying to weigh in on the rituals about cleaning, cleaning plates and cups. But, but read it. It's, it's quite plain, isn't it? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but you instead need to clean the inside of the cup and plate? That's not what he says, right? The contrast between the outside of the cup and plate is inside is greed and self-indulgence. These are actually strange words that are paired together to talk about somebody that is violent Uh, The word for greed is actually for plundering. It's like stealing from somebody. And then self-indulgence is a word that was used by philosophers when somebody knew the right thing to do, but they didn't care and did it anyway. And so these two words are paired together to just talk about a, a crooked person who knows the right thing to do, but they're going to step all over and take and steal and do whatever it takes to get what they want. That's what Jesus says is going on inside of these scribes and Pharisees. So it's a metaphor, right? The cleansing of the outside of the cup is about the external actions of the person, the way they might get themselves dressed, the way they might carry themselves in public. In fact, this is what the next woe is all about, is it not? Read the next woe. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, You are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So now we have the same point being made with a different illustration. This time the illustration is about the whitewashed tombs. Now this is a little historical cultural lesson because you and I are probably not used to whitewashed tombs and that might fly over your head and it's like, what's going on here? And what's going on here is that the time that Jesus is talking 
is the week of the Passover. It is the last week of Jesus's life. He is in the temple complex, and there are a lot of people that have come to Jerusalem because it's Passover week. This is a annual Jewish religious holiday. It is one of the biggest holidays that are going on. And so it is a lot of traffic, foot traffic, travelers, visitors that are in Jerusalem. Jesus is in the epicenter of Jerusalem. He is in the temple as he is talking to these scribes and Pharisees. That's where we find ourselves. Now, what does this have to do with tombs? Well, on the way to Jerusalem, you would have passed graves where people would have been buried. And those graves, if you would have stepped on them or been close to them, it would have put you in a state of ritual uncleanliness. In fact, this was one of the like worst of the clean and unclean rules and laws in, in terms of its severity and seriousness. That if you touch a dead person or a grave or something that's associated with the dead, your stay outside in quarantine was longer than some of the other things that would make you unclean. So this would be one of those, you really need to make sure that you are in the right ritual cleanliness. So when the day and weeks and months of dirt start building up on the tombs, sometimes you don't realize it, but you might be walking through a graveyard and, and then before long you realize, oh, I just walked through a grave. I just got myself ritually unclean because I was all over that tomb and I didn't realize it. And that's the point Jesus is making because the week of the Passover, there was this uh, tradition of whitewashing all the tombs so they would be sparkling white. So everybody would make sure that they would see it and not make themselves unclean. Because if there's one time you don't want to be quarantined, it's when you're having a big party. Doesn't that sound about right? Like what's the one thing that makes COVID-19 really bad? Social distancing, quarantining, not being around people, having weddings or celebrations that are trimmed down to five people instead of having your whole big family all together, having somebody die and not be able to have a proper burial or funeral because we all can't be together. So in the same way, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these first century Jewish people that are going to a big party and they want to make sure that they don't get quarantined. They want to make sure that they're not social distanced. They want to be together. And so they whitewash all the tombs to make sure that nobody will accidentally walk over a grave. And so this is what Jesus is referring to when he says, you know what you guys are like? You're like those graves, that they're all washed. And so on the outside, it's real obvious that you're clean. But on the inside of the grave are dead people's bones and they make you unclean. And so this is why he says, outwardly, you appear righteous to others. You appear as if it's safe, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness, which is quite an interesting play on words here. Lawlessness, because Jesus is saying that by your attempt to obey the law, you're actually becoming people who are not obeying the law. Your law keeping is making you lawless and disobedient to the law. This is what we've been covering throughout this section in Matthew 23. They're missing the main point as we saw last week. Oh, you tithe okay, 
but you're missing the actual law and therefore you're disobeying the law. And so this is the way Jesus talks in this passage. And hopefully it's clear to you that Jesus has the desire for you to be clean. If I could sum it up in one big idea, that would be it. Jesus wants to make you and me fully clean, not just ritually, but fully cleansed from the inside out. Not just to appear righteous to the outside of the world, but full of love and joy and his presence and his spirit. Look at verse 26. This is the key verse of this passage. I think it unlocks the gospel. It gives you hope. It tells you about what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. There's a lot packed into verse 26. So look at with, at with me one more time. He says, you blind Pharisee. And honestly, if I, I could just throw out a little note here, I have no idea why he switches to the singular here. This is not you plural Pharisees. He says, you singular blind Pharisee. It's almost like he's calling one of them out in particular. I don't know who, but I wouldn't want to be that guy. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. So again, we're not talking about how to rightly wash your dishes. Jesus is not talking about the ritual traditions of the Jews. He's using it as an illustration to talk about a human person. So here you are, you, me, we're human persons. Jesus is talking about you. He's talking about me. He has something to say that's profound here. He says that if you would like your external actions to be filled with love, joy, cleanliness, to be a person that has external righteousness, not just a show, not just for pretense, not just a fake person that goes to church and acts like everything's okay, puts on a happy face, dresses nice, and everybody thinks, oh, they're really a nice person. But inside, they go home and they're depressed. They go home and they're struggling with addictions to drugs, alcohol, pornography, you name it. They go home and they yell at their spouse. They have a temper problem with their kids. I'm talking about those kind of people, you know, you and me, us. And I'm not trying to point out one of you in particular. I just mean this is us. This is human beings. And a lot of times, religious people, church people in particular, are really good at playing these games and charades and being hypocrites, actors that dress up like everything's okay. And Jesus is going to tell us what to do. In verse 26, he does not say, continue to clean the outside of the cup or continue to dress a certain way or do certain actions externally that are going to like show everybody how nice you are. He says, clean the inside of the cup. First, clean the inside of the cup so that, that's the key word I want you to make sure you don't miss. This one little word, it's that. First, clean the inside of the cup and the plate. Why? What's the significance of doing that? Because if you do that, then the outside of the cup will be cleaned also. To put it real simple and plain, if we focus our attention on having our hearts, the core of our being, the command center of your life and your soul, if you put your attention on cleansing and renewing and washing the heart of the soul, then 
the external actions will follow. This is the way that Jesus teaches renewal and cleansing. This is what the gospel is all about. Let me read a passage for you all in Titus chapter 3. This is one of the best summaries of the gospel, and it makes clear that we have external actions and sin in our life, and what we need is the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to make us new people. This is Titus chapter 3. It says in verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy and hated by others and hating one another. Not a happy verse. That wasn't the chipper pick-me-up. We are foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to the passions of our flesh and the pleasures of this world. We're full of malice, envy. We hate other people. Verse 4, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of external actions, not because you helped somebody at a soup kitchen or gave to the Rand Grove community or because you're donating money to Embassy Church or because you go to church faithfully or because you name the list of things you could say, not because of those things were you saved. He saved us not because we cleaned the outside of the cup of our righteousness. He saved us because of his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit with whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Wow, that would be a great sermon if we just unpack that for the next two hours. But let me unpack one key word. He says in Titus chapter 3, we were saved by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Our text in Matthew chapter 26 is only telling us what Jesus is opposed to, what he is condemning. He is upset that these Pharisees and scribes are not cleansed from within. Our text tells us that we should be cleansed from within. Verse 26, wash the inside of the cup. But how? How does that happen? This is why we're jumping over to Titus 3. Titus 3 tells us that through the gospel, God saves us not because of our external washings and our external actions that make us right before God, but by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of God in you. God saves. God sustains. God sanctifies. God rescues all the way from beginning to the end. We need to have our eyes firmly fixed on the saving work of God who makes sinners who are unclean and dirty and unrighteous cleansed from the inside out. 
by receiving the gift of salvation. Regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. The word that Titus uh, is receiving here, the word from Titus chapter 3, regeneration. It's the word palagenesia in the Greek language, and it appears twice in the whole Bible. And here it's used, and once other in one of Jesus' teaching in Matthew 19. And palagenesia means the renewal of all things. It's a Greek concept of philosophy that talks about how the world is a big cycle and that the world just keeps going through these cycles and that eventually the world will uh, go crazy and then it'll get renewed and cleansed and washed. It's about a cosmic reality. But here in Titus chapter 3, Paul says palagenesia or the renewal and regeneration of the Holy Spirit happens in your heart. It's like the whole new world has, has come into creation. It's like you've been, if we use the language of John 3, born again, where you're a new person from the inside out. This is what's the hope of the gospel, and this is what Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees and the scribes. He does not want you and I to settle for mere external behavior modification. Do you know what I mean by that? Mere external behavior modification. This is when parents, you're parenting your children. And you think, well, my kid's a good kid. They're doing good in school. They're keeping their nose clean, as we might say. They're not doing drugs. They have a nice Christian boyfriend or girlfriend. Everything on the outside looks good. But on the inside, they're greedy addicted to lust, depressed, anxious, fill in the blank. Parents, let's not settle for mere external behavior modification that they're able to have our external behavior manipulated because we want something and so therefore because of the desire we want to please our parents, for example. We might do what they tell us instead of the desire of Love of God, instead of a desire that's changed from the inside out of a new heart. How about any of you that might be single or pursuing marriage, seeking a spouse? Do you just want somebody that's got good looks on the outside or seems like a nice person? Or do you care about the depth of their being, the the core of their heart? Do you care if they're a Christian, not just by name only because they go to church, but because their heart's been born again? Friends, if, if you're here and you're listening to this, whether on this Zoom call or on a recording later, and you want to know simply what it means to become a Christian personally and individually, It means to have the cosmic renewal of all things break into your heart now through the Holy Spirit. God promises through the coming and the sending of Jesus into the world to renew the world. And these scribes and Pharisees were trying to bring about that renewal by their traditions and by their strict observance. And what they did was miss the whole point and didn't realize that their heart needed transformed, that they needed the law of God written on their heart. They needed to be circumcised, as the scriptures say. Circumcised not of flesh, but of the inward soul. So I want you to think, how does this happen? How does someone 
receive the gospel and have their hearts transformed by the Holy Spirit. And I would want to sum it up with one simple idea. It's worship. The practice of worship. The way for your heart to change is when you glory in something beautiful. And it, it makes you sometimes celebrate in song. It makes you sometimes jump for joy. Sometimes it humbles you and, and leaves you jaw-dropped in awe. Worship, it, it convicts and it makes you feel really sad and dirty, but at the same time loved and accepted for who you truly are with all of that uncleanliness. Worship, that's the key. Through worship, our hearts are transformed by the Holy Spirit. By looking at the gospel, by reminding ourselves of the good news of Jesus and how he has come to set us free from the tyranny of our sin and the slavery we have to the passions of our flesh, he, he gives us something that's jaw-dropping and beautiful. He gives us himself. And so I want you, as we close this time, I want you to think about the gospel in the ways that we've been talking about it. Jesus is on his way as he is in this story. He is on his way to a cross. And on that cross, he will accomplish the real covenant renewal that changes the heart, that unleashes the Holy Spirit, that brings victory over uncleanliness, both ritually and sinfully in the heart. The Pharisees' intense Torah observance could never achieve this. And so Jesus longs in his heart, Oh, Pharisees, woe to you for missing what I have come to do, what the law is all about, not just external righteousness, but internal holiness. And the way that comes is by Jesus drawing on to himself as he dies on a cross all the wickedness of the world, all the uncleanliness that he has denounced in this chapter, all hypocrisy, all greed, all anger and malice, envy, he takes the full force of it on himself and he exhausts it. It turns the day and the noon sun to black because darkness comes over the land. Jesus, as he was hanging on the cross, became fully and totally ritually unclean. Jesus himself was the pure spotless lamb without blemish. He who knew no sin became sin. He who knew nothing of ritual uncleanliness was always cleansed. Whenever he touched a leper, he cleansed them and his power of cleansing transferred to them. When he touched a dead person, they came back to life. Jesus was the pure radiance of God's cleansing, brilliant, life-giving power. But Jesus on the cross became the epitome of uncleanliness. He became a dead body. We saw earlier that if you touch a dead body, if you even cross over a grave, it's one of the worst things to make you quarantined and, and separated and outside. Jesus, as he hangs on the cross, becomes quarantined 
cut off, set outside of the camp because of his uncleanliness and his dead body, and he was buried and put into a tomb. You know, if you touched blood or some kind of discharge or disease, then you would become unclean. Jesus' body was dripping with blood. When they pierced his side, his water gushed out from his body. Jesus had all kinds of discharges and fluids coming out as he was sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. His blood pierced his skull and the the crown of thorns pierced his skull and blood come gushing out of his head. When we look at the cross, Jesus is all of the Levitical uncleanliness all in one person so that you and I could become clean, so we could be washed. This is why we sang that song, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing. Nothing can, except one thing, the blood of Jesus. Or as we sang, or about to sing, in the song, Jesus paid it all. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. Why? Because Jesus, he paid it all. All to him I owe. Our sin, it left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. We sing these songs because these songs give expression to a heart that has received the good news that there can be a cleansing from within. How many of you need to be reminded of that today? How many of you are struggling to believe that there is hope? There's hope for you. There's hope for this world. There is a real, actual, life-changing, transforming power. It's God through the Spirit coming into the heart as one hears and receives the good news that God does love this world and he desperately wants the Pharisees and the scribes and you and me to clean the inside of the cup to get washed from within. Because when that happens, the rest takes care of itself. Actions and behaviors start to follow. This is the hope we need for our community. This is the hope we need for conversations about racism, about injustice, about the way that people don't love one another, about divisions and discord, about government control and authority and quarantines and mask wearing and phases and COVID-19 and anything that would make us not love each other. We need a gospel about regeneration where the whole world comes renewed and that whole renewal of the world comes crashing into your heart and mine. And that's exactly what Jesus came to bring. So I pray and hope That each of you will be reminded today, regardless of how dirty you might feel, whether inside or out, Jesus brings the gift of the Spirit. So do everything you can to leverage your life to regularly give moments of worship, a little moment of prayer, a time to pause and, and sing a song, 
a time to read and meditate on Titus chapter 3 and the good news that he saved us, not because of the righteous deeds we have done, but because of his mercy. And see if that might melt the heart of stone. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you now for the good news of the gospel that you have sent your son Jesus into the world to cleanse and to wash sinners. Lord, help us to acknowledge our sin and to be honest that our sin is way deeper and far worse than we have normally thought of it. And we want to thank you, God, that through your Spirit's convicting of that sin, it will lead us to true transformation. And I pray, God, that you will make Embassy Church a church that is more like a hospital, that understands itself to receive sick sinners, and that we have a medicine, an antidote that can reverse the curse of sin, and it can cleanse us from the inside out. Lord, I want to pray that we will not put up fake pretenses of everything is okay in our life. I pray that there would be continually and regularly a culture at Embassy Church where people can be honest and real about the the sickness in our hearts. Lord, for anybody here that's feeling discouraged, depressed, anxious, worried, struggling with anger, lust, all of the deeds of darkness that are done with our hands, help us to see that they're from our heart. I pray that we would find help and that we would confess those sins to trusted friends. I want to pray, God, that embassy will be a safe place for sinners and that they would be cleansed from those sins and live a new life, regenerated and empowered by the Holy Spirit, by your presence God, what wonderful good news. We want to thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.